You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And that's frightening to hear that, you know, mostly you think these scams are overseas. You know, you hear about these compounds where people are just, their whole focus is scams, but to actually hear that they have people on the ground who might pose as an FBI agent and come to your home, you know, that's that's fairly alarming. Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome to the Hacking Humans podcast brought to you by the CyberWire. This is where every week we delve into the world of social engineering scams, phishing plots, and criminal activities that are grabbing headlines and causing significant harm to organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, we are joined once again by Mallory Safaste. She is the consumer investigative reporter at WMAR2 News in Baltimore. She's returning with some of the stories that she's been tracking. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe, before we get to our stories here, we've got some follow-up. Why don't you kick things off for us here? Dave, Kenneth writes in, uh, we recently took a little bit of a break while I was traveling and you were doing some traveling. Right. So we ran some reruns. Yeah. And uh, Kenneth writes in, says, hello, Dave and Joe. I was just listening to the Encore presentation of the podcast dated October 11th. Joe mentioned creating separate email addresses, for example, for credit card companies. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I am crazy enough to run my own email server. Uh, uh, not the one I'm using to send this, he notes. <laughs> he says, I create an alias for each organization who wants an email address. This means when someone loses my data or sells it, I can tell who is to blame. I can then delete the alias and send the problems into the trash. The worst example was when LinkedIn lost my data and I started getting sextortion email messages. <laughs> I knew who was the root cause simply by looking at, at the two field. Mm. So in other words, he identified the email address because it was his own email address. Right. Uh, he realizes that not everyone can do this, uh, and he must admit it does raise his workload. So it's not trivial to do this. Right. <laughs> uh, however, the few times I have not done this, I normally find myself unhappy that I did not. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll agree with that. Yeah. If, you, if you're running your own email server, you should absolutely do this. Yeah. Somebody says, what's your email address? Oh, I got an email address just for you. <laughs> yeah, there's a way to do this with Gmail. I think we've talked about before. You can just add a plus right. to the to the first part of your email address. So like if my name was Dave at gmail.com, I could do Dave plus spam catcher at gmail.com. Right. The only problem with that is everyone knows that trick, and all I have to do is take everything between the plus and the at sign out uh, and 
I have your email address. Oh, yeah. Good point. So good point. easy to automate. Right. With this, I can just spin up an email address. And when that email address gets compromised, shut it down and my server handles the rest of sending back bounces. Right, right. No, that's better. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> You can also just go out and create new Gmail addresses every time you do it. I have like seven or eight Gmail addresses. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Kenneth, thank you for sending that in. We do appreciate it. Shall we jump into our stories here? Yes, let's do that. All right. I will kick things off for us. Uh, My story comes from Krebs on Security, which is, of course, a well-known security website uh, written by Brian Krebs. Uh, And it's titled, The Fake Browser Update Scam Gets a Makeover. Hmm. And Brian uh, writes about... uh, This common scam that uh, we've seen for a long time now where um, you'll be minding your own business, browsing on the internet, and you'll get a pop-up that says your web browser needs to be updated. I'm hearing Eddie Murphy in my head, walking down the street, minding my own business. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Your browser needs to be updated. Right. And uh, so it tells you you need to download some files and you being a good, safe person on the internet, do so right away because lots of people have told you that it's important to install patches and keep up to date. Dave, I think we may have even said that here on this podcast (laughs) once or twice. (laughs) But when you do, you're in fact taken to a place that is going to install malware on your computer. Uh, The twist here and what what has updated this is that uh, the folks who are doing this, of course, they need a place to store their bad files. Right. They need a, a, a hosting service for their for their malware, essentially. Right. And they also need a hosting service that is willing to look the other way. Right. <laughs> or uh, one that will not detect what they're up to. Yes. And the latest wrinkle in this scam is that evidently they are using... Um, some blockchain technology. They're using uh, places, a, a place called Binance, which is a a smart contract provider on right. the blockchain. And basically, they host their code on Binance. Uh, and so, when you go to Binance, you download this code that's part of a that should be part of a smart contract, but in fact is the malware code. Uh, you download the the code from there, and then it gets executed, and and they've got you. Right now, this is this is something I don't even understand because I understand blockchain, right? But I've never taken the time to understand smart contracts, mm. uh, and this has to do with the Ethereum blockchain, or at least that's the first thing that pops into my mind is the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, because uh, Bit Bitcoin Bitcoin's blockchain you can't do that with. Bitcoin's blockchain is just a blockchain. Okay. Uh, but Ethereum's is not. It has the smart contract feature. Yeah. Uh, so, but outside of that, I don't know how the, they're technically how they're doing this. I'm sure it's possible. I know that you could put anything into a smart contract. I do know that. So the fact that they're putting other code in there or even executables or whatever is not surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, what they say here, and I'm just going to quote from Brian Krebs's write-up on it. Uh, he says that uh, he spoke to the head of security at Guardio Labs, uh, and they said that the malicious scripts stitched into hacked WordPress sites will create a new smart contract on the BSC blockchain, starting with a unique attacker-controlled blockchain address and a set of instructions that defines the contract's functions and structure. When that contract is queried by a compromised website, it will return an obfuscated and malicious payload. I see. So it seems to me like they're using some of the capabilities of the blockchain and the smart contracts to generate the malware on the fly. And what was it, the B something? 
B- Binance Smart Chain, BSC. Oh, B- so this is actually Binance's blockchain. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So what that does is it, it uh, means so that it, it can't be detected with like a static analysis where they're just looking for code that they know th- or a file type that matches something that's that's known ahead of time because the, the malware is being generated on the fly using the... Um, the instructions the from instruction. the smart contract. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now they've reached out to the folks at uh, the Binance smart chain and they're on it. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they, what are they going to do? Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they, they've seen some of the, I guess, the methods uh, that the folks use here, and uh, they're on the lookout for it. And, of course, if anything gets reported, they'll take it down right away. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know the specifics of how they're taking it down, but they are, you know, in good faith trying to do so. Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Uh, I know that if there was something like that in Bitcoin, if there's a transaction in Bitcoin on that blockchain, and again, this is not a smart contract blockchain. So, yeah. I, and, and again, I don't know how these smart contract blockchains work. Right. But once it's there, it's there. Yeah. The blockchain is supposed to be immutable. Now, that being said, there was a, an Ethereum event that happened with a smart contract years ago where Ethereum actually rolled back the blockchain as a group. Uh, They agreed to roll back the blockchain and get rid of a uh, piece of malicious code that was in the smart contracts of their blockchain. Right. Uh, And that's why you now have Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. Right. I remember that. Yeah, there was a a group who hung on to the old one and then they I what they forked off a new one. They right? for, well they forked off a new one, right? And that became the new official Ethereum. But, okay. But you can't you can't stop a blockchain. The, the original blockchain is still out there. Um, <laughs> I need a t-shirt that says that. You can't stop a blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a 70s disco movie, it, it right? It does, yeah. <laughs> Once that blockchain is running, you can't stop a blockchain, Joe. <laughs> That's right. You have to say baby after. <laughs> yeah, that. watch. Just watch me. Watch right. me. Yeah. So I, you know, I, 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 as as you, I do not know uh, all of the nitty gritty details of how smart contracts work. And honestly, it's been a while since we've even talked about it over on CyberWire. I mean, it seems like they had their moment in the sun, like a lot of this stuff, and it's just sort of fallen off the 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 regular conversations anyway, which could just mean that they're in a state of equilibrium and they're doing... They're doing they, what they do and they're yeah, doing it well. Exactly. Right. They figured out the the glitches and, you know, the people who need it, they know where it is and how to, how to use it. Of course, I suppose this story points to something different from that. Somebody's figured out a way to take advantage of it. Right. Yeah, um, it's just another way to exploit, you know, it's my old hammer analogy, Dave. It's, it's a tool yeah. and somebody's using it for evil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like uh, what Brian Krebs here says. He wraps up this article and he says, more than a decade ago, this site published Krebs's three rules for online safety, of which rule number one was, if you didn't go looking for it, don't install it. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> rule, by the way. Right, right. Uh, all those rules are great. That I, yeah. I can't remember what the other two rules are, but I remember looking at that 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 post and going, these are all great rules. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and in this case, what that means is if something pops up on your screen and says, you must install this now, don't. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, consult with someone else or, you know, there's there's <laughs> there's no reason you have to do it now. Right. Uh, take the time and, and scrutinize it. What's interesting is that the browser update is taking, is being hosted, uh, that, that page is being hosted on a compromised WordPress site, mm-hmm. right? So it looks like your browser is telling you time to update. Right. 
Right. Yeah, and there's certainly no shortage of those. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have a link to that story in the show notes. Joe, what do you have for us? Dave, I've got something a little strange, I think. Yeah. Um, my story comes from Kate Nibbs over at Wired, and I have a new term for you, Dave. Mm. Obituary pirates. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a great Great group of guys, right? Right off the bat. <laughs> Sounds like a heavy metal band. <laughs> there was a heavy metal band named Obituary. Okay, a death there you metal go. band. All right. Uh, some controversy. Uh, I think I actually interviewed one of their guitarists when I was in college. <laughs> really? <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is nothing as interesting as that. Uh, what's happening here is Kate is talking about a story. Kate Nibbs is talking about a story uh, from one of her friends. Her friend had a classmate die unexpectedly. Okay. So what do you do when, when you hear that somebody from your past has died unexpectedly? I, uh, well, I go looking for the obituary. You go looking for the obituary. That's exactly what I do. I Google it, and that's what Kate's friend did. Yeah. Uh, looking for the official obitu- obituary, but Kate's friend really had to look for this obituary uh, because there is what Kate calls a slimy cottage industry around obituaries and these obituary pirates. And Mm. what they do is they scrape sites that host obituaries and then just republish the the obituary on their sites. Yeah. Um, These site owners are then good at search engine optimization so that their site comes up first in the results. This happened to me. Did this happen to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, a, A family member on my wife's side of the family passed away. And uh, I went looking for the obituary. And, you know, when, when someone passes, you kind of get in this mode of waiting for the obituary to publish. Right. You know, because sometimes it takes a couple days. Yep. So you're just kind of checking in to see. You're looking for information about the funeral, about services, where to send things, all that kind of stuff. Right. And this was someone out of town. Um, and the first thing that popped up when things started popping up was a YouTube video. A YouTube video. Yes. Well, that's interesting because we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, but these guys are using the uh, the traffic that's driven to their sites to charge a premium for ads, and they're selling these ads. There was one mentioned in this in this uh, article about selling a topical vitamin C cream. Huh. I don't know if that's how vitamin C works. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Or if you're just rubbing something on your skin and hoping that the placebo effect makes you feel feel better, right? They Until also, you get rickets, uh, right? Rickets. <laughs> I think that's vitamin D, isn't it? <laughs> Could be. I don't know. <laughs> vitamin C is scurvy. I know that. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, sympathy card. They 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 also sell sympathy gifts like candles or flowers. They okay. just pocket the money from this. Oh. These these obituary pirates. But more recently, Dave, these pirates are making YouTube videos, just like the one you saw. Yeah. And these are low-quality videos. And Kate tells a story about that one of them is just a man sitting alone, and he's speaking directly to the camera. Other people narrate obituaries over corny slideshows of candles and photos and deceased and the deceased from their social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Uh, so these guys are going out. They're they're making YouTube videos. They're uploading them to YouTube, and they're making money off of people's obituaries. That's yeah, and that's what I witnessed. I I went to I saw this YouTube video, and it was just a guy looked like he was sitting in his sitting at his dining room table, in front of a laptop, nothing special about it. Right. Uh, looked like probably someone of Southeast Asian descent. Okay. And was just read read the obituary. Uh. And it, this struck, you know, I, I 
my first reaction was, what the heck is this? Right. <laughs> right? Like what, you know, what, why, why, why? Uh, it just seems to me so ghoulish. Right. Well, I would agree that it's rather ghoulish, but Dave, there's money to be made here. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kate reached out to a number of the proprietors of these accounts, probably even the guy that you saw reading your family member's obituary. Right. None of them responded. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, are you shocked by that? I'm not shocked by that. <laughs> no. I mean, that's exactly the response I would have expected. I don't right. think Kate's shocked by that either. No. Um, there is a uh, woman named Jessica Koth who Kate spoke to. She is the director of public relations for the National Funeral Directors Association. Okay. Every trade has their national association. Sure. Including funeral directors. Yep. Uh, and Jessica says, these videos are not sanctioned or authorized by the funeral home or by the family of the person who died. I would imagine they would be quite upsetting to the families involved. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, did you talk to anybody about the, the video or did you just keep that to yourself? I, think, I, I told my wife. Yeah, I mean, but... Uh, not immediately, though. Right. Um, actually, no. My, my wife, uh, I did not mention it to my wife because I didn't, she didn't need anything additionally to right. upset her. Because this was a family member of your wife. So was it a close family member, if I can Close pry? enough. Close, close enough, enough that, yeah. yeah, I don't want to see so, some... Yeah. So I kept it to myself, but probably about a week later, she mentioned to me that at the services for this person, someone had mentioned this. And oh. I said, oh, yes, I had seen that. Uh, I, I saw it too. And I just, you know, I chose to keep it to, keep it to myself just because why, you know. It, it, right. There's no sense in bringing this up to correct. a grieving family. Not it at that moment. <laughs> do, yeah. It doesn't make right. anything better. Right. It, right. It, it's exactly, again, you know, just how ghoulish and, and unsettling it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it makes me think is a, is a, an obituary protected in any well, way? We're going to get there. I don't know. We're going to get there. <laughs> okay. Cause Kate was talking about some Reddit posts where people are talking about this practice yeah. and they're wondering why it's happening and whether they can do anything to stop it. And one person says, these people are monetizing our beloved ones deaths. Yeah. Terrible that yeah. they're doing this. But there have been some consequences. So in 2019, there was a Canadian company called Afterlife that scraped and republished obituaries. Uh, and they were ordered to pay 20 million Canadian dollars. Uh, I don't know how many real dollars that is. But, um, <laughs> oh, boy. Right, right. Please, when you write your letters, address them to Joe. <laughs> I mean nothing to our, our, our good friends, our neighbors to the north uh -huh. of the border. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many American dollars that would be, but it's pretty close, actually. Right. Um, and they sued, and they won $20 million wow. from, from these people. And the reason for their victory was because of copyright infringement. Hmm. They said these people were just scraping and republishing obituaries and publishing photos that they didn't have permission to publish. So this company was fined $20 million. Wow. These YouTubers are essentially summarizing the information. Oh. And um, a quote from the article, it says, while distasteful, it is not illegal. Right. So they're, right. they're not committing any crimes here, um, but they are doing something that is going to hook into us. I mean, you you saw the video of, of your family member's obituary. You saw, you somebody else in your family saw the video. There were probably some people that saw the video that didn't talk about it. Right. That you didn't hear about it. Uh this, this practice is ongoing, and I don't know that there's anything you can do to stop it other than not look at it. Yeah. Right? 
I also wonder if it's, um, and, and I, I understand I'm treading on dangerous ground here, but I wonder if, if part of what set me back on my heels is just kind of the cultural mismatch, right? Like someone who, who I don't know, who I will never meet, who is from around the world, who has right. no interest in this at all, does this, that it makes it feel somehow more invasive than, you know, if, um, I don't know, if, you know, if my local newscaster, right, were posting right. these kinds of things and said that they were doing it as a tribute or something like that, it probably wouldn't set me off as quickly as some random stranger from the other side of the world. Right. And I guess that's just human nature. I don't, I don't know if that's right or not. And, and I suppose it could speak to, you know, some biases or whatever that I have hardwired into me, but it's just an interesting dynamic. And, and, um, I, I just, th- it, it's awful. Uh, and it makes me sad that this is where we are. Right. This right? is, yeah. Well, <laughs> this is what the internet has, has brought us. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know that there's any legal ramifications here. The platforms could certainly, YouTube could certainly say, uh, we're not, well, but then you can't say we're not allowing obituary videos because what if you're a funeral home and you want to put up obituary videos yeah. on YouTube that are actually the tributes that the family has authorized? Right. You, you can't do that either. I think it's just something we have to live with. Yeah, so whatever I, that's you do, the thing. Whatever you do, don't pay to light a candle on an obituary site. <laughs> right? Never do right. that. Right. I mean, that's like paying to win a game. Yeah, it's it's even worse than that because all you're doing is... Uh, well, see see what they, you know, find the legit obituary. Right. Most people say, in lieu of flowers, send a donation to such and such an organization. Yes. I imagine the floral industry aren't big fans of that, but uh, aside from that... That's uh, fine with me, by the way, Dave. <laughs> if the floral industry died out tomorrow, I'd be happy. Same with the diamond industry. I think those are two things we spend way too much money on, flowers okay. and diamonds. All right. <laughs> so... Um, you know, you can find something that was near and dear to the the dearly departed's uh, life and make a donation in their name. Yeah, and, and just do that. If you're close enough, you can make the family dinner for a night or something. There you go. That's that's really the best thing I think you can do. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have a link to this story. As you say, this was uh, from the folks over at Wired, written by Kate Nibbs. Uh, we will have a link to that in the show notes. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from me. Okay. Isn't that great? Yeah. I told you earlier today that I have uh, a bunch of Gmail addresses. Right. And Gmail has sent out these notices to uh, all its users that beginning December 1st of this year, if you haven't logged into your your Gmail address uh, in six months, they're just going to delete the Gmail address. Mm. And it won't be available for anybody else to ever use either. So it's gone. They're going to just close them down, archive the name and delete the content. Okay. So I've been going around to the email addresses I care about and reactivating them and, and lo- signing into them. And I did that with, with one of my old email addresses. And I found an email from a number of years ago that <laughs> made it into my inbox. Wow. Completely by all the spam filters. Okay. The subject line was a job W all one word and all lowercase. And hmm. the text was FLS. The fish was actually in an attached JPEG, which I have posted here into our document that we read from. Okay. So I'm going to uh, 
let you, it's kind of self-explanatory as to what it is. Yeah, it says it's from the International Organization for Migration. And it says, Dear winner, in collaboration with the European Conglomerate Oil and Gas Corporation, wish to inform you the four lucky winners in this year annual lotto draws. Your email address emerged alongside three others as a fifth category winner. You do not require participating or buying a ticket in order to become a winner. It is a free lotto lucky draws. You have won a total amount of 49,000 British pounds in fight against European migrant crisis awareness campaign and support. The following particulars are attached to your lotto payment order. Serial batch number, winning number, reference number. Forward the listed details below to email mufundoguali at representative.com for immediate commencement of your payment process. Uh Your full name, residential or working address, winning and reference numbers, telephone and mobile number, age. To South African mediator Johannesburg, South Africa, Mr. Mufundo Guala. Furthermore, for security measures, we strongly advise you keep this information confidential until payment has been received successfully. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So I, I didn't respond to this. Well, you missed out. I, I mean, did. it's been I, years It's now. been years. So somebody else probably got my lottery. There are no lottery winnings, Dave. Um, <laughs> I, I find it interesting that the the address or the the art on this is from the International Organization for, for Migration, but the return address actually says Oil and Gas Corporation and European Base Oil Slash Lubricants Conference, EMC, celebrates annual, actually, it's not a return address. It's just a... Whole, it looks like a return address, but mm-hmm. it's a whole thing about some oil and gas conference. Right. Like they got their 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 spam mixed up. Right. They blended two of them or something yeah, like I that. Don't, I don't know. This is uh, Maybe this is just intended to confuse people. Yeah, or it could help make it get past a spam filter by yes. having more more stuff. You know, that happens sometimes. So, yeah, th- there's one of the big scams uh, that still runs around is a lottery scam. If you didn't buy a ticket, you didn't win. Uh, I didn't buy any lottery tickets that pay out in British pounds. Right. So <laughs> there's no chance of, of of me having won a lottery out of the UK. Yeah. Uh, so this is obviously just a scam. If you send these people any information, all they do is tell you about how much money you have there, and you're going to have to pay some money to get it out. Just a basic advanced fee scam. Right, right. All right. Well, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. Back to the concept of integrations. Nobefore's Security Coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs, with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash securitycoach. That's knowbefore.com 
slash security coach. Joe, it is always a pleasure to welcome back to our show Mallory Safaste. She is a uh, consumer investigative reporter at WMAR 2 News here in Baltimore. Mallory, thank you so much for taking the time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave and Joe. So uh, you have been doing some really interesting reporting lately that is right up our alley here. And uh, we're lucky to uh, have you back to describe some of the stories you've been working on. What can you share with us today? So recently we had two stories where I went to the FBI Baltimore field office to talk with their agents there. Um, I had reached out to them because for these two scams in particular, I've been receiving a massive amount of emails, um, web hits on previous stories. And the first one involves tech support scams. And what I find so interesting about that is how these particular scams have evolved. You know, we're all kind of familiar with the emails that come out of nowhere. Oh, we're renewing your virus software for a few hundred dollars. Click here to unsubscribe. You've probably seen those, right? Sure. Absolutely. So instead of that, you know, where it was a few hundred dollars or, you know, people would panic and be like, oh no, I don't want my credit card charged again. So they would, you know, go through the process and through that process, they would lose a few hundred dollars. Well, now it's evolved into people losing their life savings, um, their retirement accounts, their investments. And how it's kind of working is it's around the same, the same framework where they say, you know, um, there's an issue with your computer. There's a pop-up that comes up. You're, you think that your computer is frozen. You need to call the Microsoft support number right away. And mm. it's interesting because we've seen this happen on Google Chromebooks. And that should be the first red flag. But you're just not thinking about that when you can't do anything on your computer and you kind of panic, Right. Right. So these people, you know, they call the phone number, they're connected with someone. The person immediately answers tech support. They don't identify which company they're with because who knows how many people they're doing this with or, you know, where they've put out their feelers. And then it just kind of goes from there. You know, the conversations can last several hours and they try to tell you, you know, listen, this is really urgent. Someone's accessed your computer. Um, They're stealing your information now. We need to work together in order to stop this. We need to secure your financial accounts, which have also been compromised. Um, So, you know, here's what I need you to do by downloading this software, which ends up being um, a desktop sharing program. They ask the people to sign into their financial accounts, not knowing that the person on the phone can see them accessing their accounts. And then sometimes they can be really sophisticated where they, since it's a desktop sharing app, they might put something up on the screen. So, you know, if you're looking at your computer screen right now, you see uh, a window, but behind that, what they're doing is they're, they're transferring money within your own account. Um, hmm. They might move it. They might do like a Zelle transfer outside. Sometimes we've seen where they transfer your, your money from your savings account to your checking account. How does it work really? It's it's um it's an overpayment scam where they start to panic. They start to say, you know, I reimbursed you too much. I refunded you too much money. Um, my boss is going to be so angry. I need you to transfer it back. You know, please, please. And they beg and and it goes on and on. And you know, I need you to send me that money back to me. But really, what it was, it was your own money. They were just moving your savings to your checking, so it made it seem like you received a refund when that never happened. And then instead, now you're sending your money. To the scammer. 
So they give Mm. all kinds of different reasons, but the reported losses are through the roof with the scam right now. When I talked to the FBI Baltimore field office, you know, he said it's not uncommon. Um, We talked to special agent Keith Custer. He said it's not uncommon to see 600,000, 800,000, a million dollars in loss per victim. Mm. And Mm. that's because these these people just panic and they give access to all of these accounts and these scammers have no problem staying on the phone with you as long as possible to try to get as much as they can from you. Well, it's their job, really, right? Right, right. That's what they do for a living. It's so awful, too, how much money that these people lose um, and how this particular scam has become so lucrative. And I know, you know, you guys have this tech background and... For the people that I interview, many of them are elderly. They don't really understand what this virus software does or what these notifications mean. All they know is they want access to their accounts and their computers, and they don't want anyone to steal their money when instead they're they're somehow giving it away. Right. We had a, a story we covered recently where uh, that was uh, exactly the scam that you're describing. But one of the things that struck me was when the victim called in and thought she was talking to Microsoft, uh, the person pretending to be Microsoft said, let me transfer you to your bank's security team, right? And, and pretended to transfer the call, but of course it was just transferring her to another scammer. And now she thought she was talking to someone at her bank who was trying to protect her, but of course it was just another one of the scammers. I've heard that time and time again where, you know, it's multi-level. They keep transferring you to someone else. Oh, I need you to speak with my supervisor. Here's the person in charge securing accounts. And what's even more concerning too is the FBI agent that I spoke with, he said, we've actually seen people come to the victim's homes in person. What they'll say is because your information has been compromised, it's being used in an illegal scheme, a money laundering scheme. I'm going to send an FBI agent to your house to collect this money that, you know, is involved in this scheme. And then, you know, we'll, we'll be able to clear your name. And that's frightening to hear that, you know, mostly you think these scams are overseas. You know, you hear about these compounds where people are just, their whole focus is scams, but to actually hear that they have people on the ground who might pose as an FBI agent and come to your home, you know, that's that's fairly alarming. Yeah, yeah. You had another story uh, about uh, a romance scam. What was going on with that one? Yeah, unfortunately, I feel like we keep revisiting this, you know, every few months or several times a year. Um, But we wanted to get this one out around The Golden Bachelor, the the new ABC show, um, because we know a lot of people who are older, you know, they're looking for love. um, They want to find their special person. And with romance scams in particular, a lot of the victims are widows or widowers. And we came in contact with this woman in Frederick, Maryland. She's a widow. Um, Her husband had passed a few years prior. It was a really kind of devastating situation where it was a medical incident and he passed away right in front of her. And she was very kind of traumatized by that. And it was obviously upsetting. So she's been leaning on her friends. And one way she's been able to keep in contact with her friends is through Words With Friends, the, the gaming site where you, you know, it's almost like a virtual scrabble. Right. But that's where she was contacted by an individual. He said his name was Michael, just randomly messaged her saying, you know, would you want to play with me? 
and they played words with friends. And he immediately asked her to continue the conversation on WhatsApp. And that's kind of the first red flag is, you know, when you meet someone on an online dating site on, you know, Facebook or even words with friends, they try to move you to a different platform, maybe one that's not being closely monitored. So something like WhatsApp, where it's more private, they continue talking over several years. They develop this relationship. He says, you know, he's an architect over in Turkey. He has a son around the same age as hers. And that's something else we've seen where a lot of the times these romance scammers will mimic the profile of the person that they're targeting. So yes, I'm also widowed. This, you know, person claiming to be Michael said, same thing. His wife died suddenly in a medical emergency, you know, and it's just been him taking care of his son. Well, throughout the course of their conversations, which spanned several years, um, he made up a story about his son being in a bad car accident. All of his money had to go to these treatments and these blood transfusions, et cetera. Can you help me with that? And she is a very religious person and she feels, you know, she kept saying to me, I'm a Christian and, and I want to help people. And so I sent him money and, and that's, I have no regrets about doing that. And then it evolved now into an investment opportunity. She wants to leave money to her kids. She had $35,000. He convinced her to send that into this investment company and started sending transaction statements showing how her $35,000 suddenly morphed into over $900,000. And wow, mm. what, what a great investment that was. And so she came to the point where it was like, okay, you know, now that it's grown so much, I want to be able to take some of that money out. And that's when they hit you with the fees. Oh, well, in order to do that, it's going to be $17,000. It turns out that this company is now in the United Kingdom and you're going to have to pay customs and import fees, et cetera. The money just keeps tallying up. The excuses keep growing. And so over the course of speaking with her, you know, it, it got complicated because what we mm. didn't realize is she still believes Michael is real and Michael mm. is who he says he is. And, you know, his, her daughter was trying to tell her, this man is scamming you. You know, these transaction statements are fake and, you know, he's just trying to deceive you. And it's, it's been really hard for her to, to believe that someone could be that cruel and, and do that to her over, you know, the course of speaking several years. And she really was trying to convince her daughter into letting Michael visit and asking me if I would talk to her daughter about that. And, and, I, and I tried telling her too, you know, this is, this is what happens. There's like this playbook that the FBI also went through with me and, and I conveyed to her how these scammers operate, whereas they, you know, move your conversations to a different platform they mimic your profile. They love bomb you where they're constantly messaging you and calling you and saying all these sweet things and just kind of messing with, with your head. You, you just develop this relationship. Sometimes they ask you to keep it private. Let's not go public just yet. It's too early. And then they get into the money aspect. That was kind of hard to hear, you know, and even in speaking with the FBI agent, she says, that's the hardest part of my job is trying to convince some of these victims that these people aren't real. And it's just so hard to believe that when right. you've developed this kind of relationship with someone. And she is still convinced to this day that Michael is a real person. She is. Yes. Um, wow. That's, her daughter that's heartbreaking. has her. It is. Yeah. And this is a long game as well. Years in the making. 
for Years. pulling this scam. And you can only imagine how many people they're doing this to at once. You know, mm-hmm. all you have to do is send a few messages a day, keep in contact. So they could be doing this to a number of people and just trying to acquire new people as well. But they they really do. They invest time. And, and you know, if someone were to ask you off the bat who you didn't know, can you send me a few thousand dollars? You're going to say no. But if you fall into this narrative of, oh my gosh, he has a son the same age as mine. I can't imagine if that was my son, Peter, who was in this terrible car accident and now I can't afford treatment for him. So they just keep building this web that these victims keep falling deeper into. And, you know, then it's it's hard for the family members, the actual people who are there to, to tell them, you know, it's been a lie all these years. It's been a lie. As Joe said, I mean, one of the things that strikes me is just what a long game this is. I, I, I would say I really hadn't considered the fact that these folks could be playing something like this out over years, uh, you know, days, weeks, months, certainly, but to be in it for this long. And, and as you point out, that really establishes the sense of trust. This is someone I've known for years. They've been through me through good and bad, through thick and thin. And how, why wouldn't I help them? It's really fascinating. Yeah, and, and we've seen these scammers, they they isolate that individual, you know. Um, maybe you shouldn't be talking to this person every day. Um, you know, don't tell this person about the money that I've asked you about. You know, wouldn't it be a great surprise when you're able to gift them this amount of money later on? Um, but they try to isolate the person so that the ruse isn't up. You know, they don't want other people from the outside to realize who who the victim is speaking with because as an outsider, you you see it much more clearly than you would when you are that invested. You know, in the time that you've been tracking this in your job um, there at uh, WMAR uh, TV2 News, um, have you have you sensed a growth in sophistication with this? What sort of evolution have you seen with the scams that you've been tracking? Oh, absolutely. I mean, now it's strictly cryptocurrency, right? We used to see only gift cards. And and still, you know, that might be like leading up to the big ask where they ask for gift cards and you go and you buy them and you scratch off the back and, and they take a picture and send it. And immediately the scammer will wipe those cards out. And then they think, okay, well, if I can get them to send these gift cards then maybe I can get larger sums via cryptocurrency. And even with the, the tech support scams, you know, when we were talking to Special Agent Keith Custer, he said it's not uncommon to see older people at these Bitcoin ATM machines feeding in $100 bills and then sending, you know, thousands of dollars via Bitcoin. And I think it's because many people, I mean, it's, it's a complex thing to understand with cryptocurrency. We're, we're not used to it. It's still not commonly used as a payment method. Um, so if someone's walking you through it, they stay with you on the phone, they tell you exactly which Bitcoin ATM is within your area, the closest one. And you know if that, that, if that one's not working, go to this one. They, they ask for your location so they can direct you. And the whole time they're on the phone with you, walking you through it, answering your questions, and you almost think that they're there to help you. 
What are your recommendations for those of us who are, you know, friends and family? I, I always think about, you know, my own parents and uh, loved ones. What sort of things should we be telling them? I talk about this all the time with my mom. She is a widow. She was on these dating sites and she was getting these messages and I could clearly immediately see that they weren't who they said they were. And that was because maybe the photo was too good or a lot of the times I might just question, you know, people in military military uniform are big targets um, Mm. because they know that Americans respect the military and, and, you know, officers in uniform, maybe some women have a thing for that, (laughs) but that that is, that seems to be a big target where they will take those photos and and use that as their catfish almost. Um, So I, I just, I encourage people to have these conversations with their loved ones, you know, but even if they're not searching for love, if, like I said, you know, this woman met this man on words with friends. You wouldn't, I would never assume that you would meet a love interest on a online gaming site, but they're, they're trying to get you wherever they can. They just need that kind of introduction in order to start building that rapport. So you need to have those conversations with anyone, um, you know, and I try to tell my mom each time I come across one of these situations, like, please just, just talk to me about it. Don't be ashamed you know, let's have an open conversation. Never send money to someone else. Even if you think it's real, consult with a friend, consult with a family member first before you send anything. Because like we said with cryptocurrency, it's becoming increasingly harder to get that money back. So Mallory, you said in the uh, the story you had about the tech support scam that people were getting their retirement funds cleared out and uh, other other uh, bank accounts as well. Is there any recourse for these folks? Do they have any way of getting this money back or is it just gone? Can it, can it be tracked through the banking system? It's hard to say. In my experience, most of these people aren't able to recover that money um, unless, you know, the FBI decides to pursue a case. They, they identify patterns and then they hand it off to the DOJ and those people are prosecuted, but then restitution can take several years. So unless it's reversed immediately, the likelihood of recovering that money is very low. Um, But if you do send money and you do notify your bank right away, there is the chance that they might be able to intervene, intercept. I mean, don't even go immediately to the FBI because how that system works is you file a complaint, it goes to their IC3, um, their Internet Crime Complaint Center, and then IC3 sends it out to the individual bureaus. So, So that takes time, right? Contact mm-hmm. your bank immediately. You want someone who can act quickly. Um, contact, you know, the investment company, whoever it is that has this money or was overseeing it for you and and do what you can. Contact local police. Um, you know, in my experience, it depends with different agencies. They might have better financial crimes units or, you know, more staffing or resources there so that they can pursue these cases. But you just want to act as, as quickly as possible. And then I, I, was it fair to say contact folks like you, your your local investigative reporter who often has success getting action from some of these other uh, agencies when when people feel like they're not being heard? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even if we're unable to help you recover that money, we can at least do what we can to spread the word about it so that more people don't encounter the same situation. Um, I've also seen too where 
you know, banks are required by federal law to reimburse victims when there's an unauthorized transaction, meaning someone goes into your bank account and steals it. Now, if you transfer the money out, not always will they reimburse you. But Mm. sometimes, you know, if I send an email and we, we clearly point that out, it can help. Or you can go to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is another resource for consumers. All right. Well, Mallory Safaste is an investigative reporter at WMAR2 News in Baltimore. Mallory, thank you so much for joining us again and taking the time for us. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you both. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Of course, we want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.